think there's definitely been a huge shift much more towards content being shared and flying and going viral if it's useful, entertaining or educational. It's got to be one of those things. If it's just pretty and if it's just someone prancing around, you know, showing off their amazing life, then what am I getting from that? I couldn't care less. Good for you. Great for you. Hello and welcome to the Audience Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Hutchison, and I'm delighted you're here. On today's episode, I'm chatting to Alison Perry. Alison describes herself as a freelance writer, online content creator, author, podcast host, podcast producer, and consultant. Phew! Safe to say, Alison is mega interested in being creative and likes to keep busy. Before we hear from her, though, I need to tell you about my online memberships. You may know that we recently launched our three-tier Enjoy Marketing memberships. We opened the doors for a week, welcomed lots of new members in, made sure all the tech and support systems were working as they should do, and now we've switched to an always-open membership model. This means that you can join today. But why would you? What's in it for you? And how do you know which level to join? Well, this month, inside the Marketing Insiders Club, the focus is email marketing. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that learning how to leverage email marketing is the most important thing you can do for your business. Really? Yes, absolutely. Email marketing outperforms all other forms of marketing when it comes to making sales. Need I say more? You might be listening to this and thinking one of the following things. Are you crazy? I don't have time to tackle email marketing before the end of the year. Or I don't even have a clue where to begin. Do I need a list or a lead magnet? Or I'm already set up. I don't need the basics. I just need more people on my list. Don't worry. Whatever your situation or feelings when it comes to email marketing, I've got you. Starting on Monday, inside the Marketing Insiders Club, you can access a live training with me relevant to whatever stage of the email marketing journey you're at. That's followed up by a live Q&A the following week and a live implementation session in week three. I cannot tell you how often my clients say things like, this stuff really works. I emailed my list and people bought things. It happens all the time. Plus, of course, all replays are available for as long as you remain a member. So if you really can't face starting this month, you can schedule it in for later. But just think how much time and stress you'll save having your email marketing sorted for 2024. So pause the podcast for a moment and check out the memberships at nikkihutchison.com forward slash memberships. Now, on with today's episode, and it's time to welcome Alison Perry to the podcast. Hi, Alison. Hi, Nikki. How are you? Good. Good to see you. Thanks so much for joining me today. So I've reeled off a bit of a list of your achievements in the intro, but could you share with our listeners really how it all began? What was the kind of stepping stone that set off this chain of events that's led to where you are today? Oh, goodness. I mean, I started off way back, like 23 years ago, the year 2000, I started off like working in magazines. Actually, my first job was working for Top of the Pops on their website. Very cool. Back when websites were really kind of like, it was equivalent of like writing on a blackboard with chalk. It was like really like (laughs) old school, but it was an amazing first job. Got to go to watch the TV show being recorded every Thursday and go up to like the pop stars like Robbie Williams and Posh Spice in the corridors and ask them daft questions. So yeah, incredible, fun for like a 21 year old to do that. So jealous. I worked in like teen magazines and women's magazines. 
until about 2014 when I decided to go freelance. And actually at the same time as going freelance, my blog, which I'd started when I became a mum, so I started my blog in 2011, it was starting to kind of win awards and get a bit of interest. And actually I was getting, you know, people contact me saying, I work for this marketing agency and I'm looking after this brand of dog food and we really want you to write a blog post and incorporate our dog food. And I'm like, well, I haven't got a dog. (laughs) I haven't got a dog, so I can't do that. But then like, you know, another company would contact me about bath toys and I'd be like, I can do that. I've got kids. We have baths. (laughs) So I also, I did a bit of freelance work, but I also started doing a bit of like working with brands on sponsored blog posts, which was all completely new to me. And I didn't really know what I was doing. But as with so many of these things, you kind of just make it up as you go along and wing it. And before you know it, you're doing it. And so did you rely on them telling you what their budget was then? Oh, 100%. As with all of these things, we had like a real network of like mum bloggers. We all talked to each other. And there were a few of us who were all getting approached at the same sort of time by people. And we would be like, oh, how much are you charging for a blog post? You're charging £50. Oh my goodness, that's so much money. Right, I'm going to try. I'm going to see if I can get 50 quid and see what happens. And I still kind of do it to this day a little bit where, you know, if I get a certain amount next time, I'll ask for a little bit more and just see what happens. You know, oh, that was quite easy to get that much money. Okay, so it's so hard to try and gauge what your work is worth and what it's worth to one person is totally different to what it's worth to another person. Yeah, there was a lot of kind of like winging it and sucking it and see and just, you know, all of that going on. Yeah, I was just talking about that with some people in a meeting today, actually, in regards to sponsorship of events. And I find that the sponsorship budgets can be wildly different and perhaps not in the way that you would expect. So sometimes the corporates have got a tiny budget, but then the independent businesses who are maybe just one person, like a personal brand, they've got tens of thousands of pounds to spend. It's interesting, isn't it? And I guess it just shows you what, you know, the, the, the value that somebody is placing on that thing can just be totally different. It's got a different worth to them. So they're going to pay more or less for it. You know, there's no rule book for this, is there? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I feel like you touched on this just very casually. You're like, oh yeah, my blog just started winning some awards and (laughs) then I got approached. (laughs) How did that happen? Did you have to enter? Did people discover you? Okay. If I'm totally, totally honest, looking back with hindsight, I think my blog became successful mainly because of two things. One was, I guess, deliberate and I can pat myself on the back and the other was a complete fluke. So I think that as the online world and blogging and social media started taking off and marketing agencies and brands were a bit like, oh, what's what's going on here? But trying to tread carefully and it's all new to us and we need to convince our bosses who are very used to traditional media and that's where they spend their money. Anyone like me who was a traditional journalist and who'd worked for big brands. So by that point, I'd worked for, I guess, like Bliss magazine and More magazine and Look magazine, Very.co.uk, like big brands that people know about. So I was kind of a safe bet. If they were going to their bosses and saying, and this is one of the bloggers that we want to work with, they'd be like, oh, okay, right, this makes sense to me. The other thing, which was complete fluke, was that I named my blog in 2011, I named my blog Not Another Mummy Blog. Yeah. Now, I knew nothing about SEO at that point. Nothing. Didn't even know it was a thing. 
But years later, looking back, I'm like, oh, that's probably why I was getting so many approaches because people were sat in their office going, I need to find a mummy blogger. And they would type into Google mummy blog. And I was like the first or second hit, like for years. I don't know if I still am. Amazing. But I was like the first or second hit. They would find me. Oh, she's worked on like a few brands. She's a journalist. We know she can write. She's a safe bet. Yeah. And I probably found a lot of my audience that way as well, I guess. I don't know. So it wasn't like I was the most incredible mummy blogger that ever walked this land. You know, (laughs) I'm realistic in, you know, thinking about how it came to be. But also kind of a fluke and kind of not a fluke because you were actively trying to, like you were recognising that there was a lot of competition out there and you were trying to position yourself as slightly different. I mean, I was. There was also a misconception as to what my blog name meant. So I called myself Not Another Mummy Blog, not because I was like, here I am, I'm doing something different. It was more kind of like, oh, not another mummy blog. Like, (laughs) we don't need another one. So I was being quite self-deprecating about it. But a lot of people misunderstood and thought I was like, ta-da, I'm here. (laughs) And ta-da, there you are. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Okay, so you've got young kids, you've got a busy life but you have managed to commit to some big projects, like writing a book, for example. How do you make time to get creative work like this done around everything else that you've got going on? I think this has been like a really kind of steep learning curve for me. Because when I first went freelance, I had quite a traditional view as to what constituted work. And for me, it was pitching to publications and, you know, maybe getting some shifts working in offices of publications or brands or whoever it was. And anything else just felt a little bit indulgent and a bit, you know, a hobby. Because I had spent years just working on my blog in the evenings. I would come home from my day job. I would write a blog post. I would take some pictures, you know, some grainy iPhone 3 pictures of like the bath toys being used or whatever it was. So actually making that shift from that to actually this is my job and, you know, sitting down and coming up with a a plan for a book that I've got in my head isn't just some silly self-indulgent thing that could make me some money. So I think that that shift has been really important and allowing myself to really plan it into my working day, my working week. Okay, so I'm going to work on my podcast. I'm going to spend some time thinking of ideas. I'm going to write. I'm going to prance around in my room making a reel for Instagram. You know, that's all work. And me giving myself permission to spend the working day doing that, I would say probably took a good year for me to stop feeling like I'd wasted my time and I should be doing some proper work, really. Like you were skiving. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But I'm guessing that you love it. I'm guessing you much prefer this because you've gone from freelance to employed and then back to freelance. So tell me about that shift. So I do lots and lots of different projects, lots of different things. And I've got my podcast and I, you know, different kind of revenue streams. But the main revenue stream for me for the last few years has been influencer marketing. So brands coming to me who want to speak to my audience that I've built up on Instagram, mostly the blogging side of things has died a bit of a death. And I really found that due to so many external factors, I would say even going right back to Brexit, but the pandemic and all of the stuff that's been happening, cost of living crisis just meant that I was getting, I would say 2% of the inquiries. Oh. My income plummeted. I'd gone from being the sole earner in my family because my husband was a stay-at-home dad and very comfortably, you know, supporting us yeah. to earning next to nothing. And wow. it was terrifying. It was terrifying. 
So last year I made the decision to start looking around for a job. I was like, come on, you know, enough. <laughs> Let's get real here. You know, and we don't know how long this is going on for. And things have picked up again. So brands, you know, who perhaps had slashed their marketing budgets and had pulled right back on what they were spending on influencer marketing, we are starting to see them spend again this year. Like it definitely, it's not back to the levels that it was as far as I can see, but we're definitely getting there. So I basically looked around for work and took a job as social media editor at Netmums, which I loved. It was so great. I worked there for a year and it was so nice being part of a proper team again after years of just working on my own and being able to like bounce ideas off people. So Netmums, for anyone who is listening, who's not familiar, can you just explain exactly what that is? So Netmums, very different to Mumsnet. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, the number of times in my year working there that people just assumed that we were Mumsnet. So Netmums is, I would say, the biggest parenting website in the UK, full of amazing support and guidance and experts who are kind of on hand round the clock to help mostly new parents, but actually creating loads more content these days, aiming at like primary age parents and teens and all the rest of it. So, so bang on in terms of your experience. Bang on. And also they basically needed someone to come in and completely shake up their social media. Their Instagram wasn't in a great place and they needed someone just to come in and sprinkle some fairy dust on it, which is essentially what I did. (laughs) Amazing. So for anyone listening thinking, I want me some fairy dust, (laughs) what did you do? (laughs) It's one of those things that when, for me, it seemed quite easy, which sounds a little bit like a bit arrogant, but Because I could see that their Instagram was in such a bad place, I was like, okay, this is going to be a piece of cake. I can see really obvious things that they're not doing. They were kind of using it as a bit of a dumping ground. It was a bit of an afterthought. And I guess so often, especially if you're running a business, your social media can be an afterthought. It feels like, oh, it's another thing I've got to think about. And you get to the end of the week and you think, oh, I haven't uploaded anything onto Instagram. And, uh, you know, I've got this list of ideas of posts that I haven't had time to, to make. So I think actually making it a priority and building it into, you know, the essentials of the nuts and bolts of running your business really, really helps. And I think for Netmums, what it came down to was making content as shareable as possible. And we tried a few different things. And now Netmums are owned by a French company. And to begin with, at the beginning of this year, the people in the head office in France said, we really want you to try what's working for us and our French brands. So we did that and we hired a video studio. We got all the big lights in and we did a whole two days of video shoots with experts and real mums. And we created all this content and it kind of just fell flat when we put it out. It just didn't do anything. And it was a really interesting learning curve in terms of, okay, so what works in one market in France doesn't necessarily translate. Yeah. And then what we basically did was think, right, what works for British parents and what's got that shareability? Mm-hmm. And so we quickly realized that there were certain types of content that if we made it, our audience would just be sharing it. We had an audience of maybe about 130, 140,000, but our content was being seen by up to 600,000 people, 800,000 people, if we were getting it right. And for net mums, that was things like 
wellies from Next having a product recall. Slushy drinks, a warning being put out by the FSA that slushy drinks were potentially dangerous to toddlers. And if you drank too many of them, it had serious health consequences. So things that had that that kind of, oh my goodness, I've got to share this. And I guess that can be translated into so many different types of social media, whatever your content is, whatever you're sharing, thinking about your audience and what is that, oh my goodness, I've got to share this. I've got to tell my friends. I've got to tell, you know, the other mums. I've got to tell my colleagues this amazing bit of insight or this fresh look at this or whatever it is. I think that is the key. It's just creating shareable content. And would you say that you've managed to take that same approach and use it for your own Instagram now? No. So I took <laughs> NetMums from about 127,000 followers up to 150,000 followers, which was brilliant. So that was in 12 months we did that. Amazing. So then you look at my Instagram and I've got, I think, 34,000 followers. It's like, okay, well, what are you doing? Why, have you, why are you not doing that with your own? I mean, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> it's all well and good, like doing it for a big brand, but why are you not doing it with your own? It's actually, I think it's really hard doing it as a person and thinking yeah. about, I think it's, it's almost easier to do it for a company or a brand or a business because it feels like, I don't know, like I just feel like a bit of a wally sometimes, like prancing around. <laughs> okay, let's do this. We did not plan this, but let's put ourselves on the spot. Let's talk about who your followers are and what might be vital information that they would want to reshare. So who are your followers on your account? So on my account, so this is, well, this is interesting actually, Nikki, because I've actually just recently made a bit of a decision to sort of niche my account a bit more than it has been. So through working for NetMums and all of the stuff that I've learned in the last year through doing that, I've then kind of come out of the other side. I'm now freelance again. And I'm almost like like taking a breath and looking around and taking stock and looking at my own account and being like, okay, well, my account is like way too broad. And okay. I really feel like to be successful on social media, if you think about all the people that you follow, it's really easy for you to go, oh, well, I follow Nikki for amazing marketing advice. I follow that person because they make brilliant comedy reels about parenting. I follow that person because she's a psychologist and she shares brilliant insight into being a brilliant parent, be a better parent. Yeah. So really specific. And I looked at my account and I was like, nah, it's all just really broad and vague and just whatever I'm thinking about that day. And it's all to do with parenting. But no, parenting isn't a big enough niche. Well, it's too big a niche. It's not it's not niche enough. Yeah. <laughs> so in the last few weeks, I've been really thinking about it, right? Okay, I need to niche in a bit more. I'm just completely making up terminology here, obviously. <laughs> but I'm, I'm basically like homing in more on midlife motherhoods. I've coined myself the midlife mum because I looked around and I was like, no one's calling themselves the midlife mum. Right, that's me. I'm the midlife mum. Okay. So <laughs> surely you're not another midlife mum. <laughs> not another midlife mummy. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm I'm just starting to kind of put my content more that way. And okay. because I'm aware that actually a big bunch of my audience are women my age. So I'm 44. You know, I would say probably to mid 30s to mid 50s, I've got that kind of audience. But at the end of the day, that is midlife. And even the ones that are in their late 30s, they might drop off when I start talking more about midlife stuff, but they might hang around for the ride because they're aware that this is what they're coming up to. You know, they need to think about being perimenopausal, 
and all the kind of 40 something, you know, identity thoughts and confidence crises and all of those things that happen in your 40s. So yes. So is it really relatable content that you're going for then, would you say? Absolutely. I mean, yesterday I did a really off the cuff reel, which has ended up, I think it's got about 25,000 views. And it was me just in my kitchen yesterday morning, ranting into my phone about how I'm just not convinced that anyone is nailing it in terms of exercising regularly, eating healthily, remembering to give their kids the bus fare, you know, making the doctor's appointments, <laughs> uh, all of those things that we just have in our heads, that constant ticking list. I don't think anyone's nailing it. And I, I was like, it was almost like a call, like, you know, call to action. It was like, if you are nailing it, tell me what's your secret. <laughs> And oh my goodness, the response it got from people saying, I'm not nailing it, I'm not nailing it, I'm not nailing it. This is so, such a relief to see. <laughs> you know, so it is very much like relatable, realistic, yeah, not too glossy, not kind of like perfect. I think the days have gone of social media content flying because it is aspirational and glossy and pretty. Like that's so 2016. 100%. Yeah, I feel like, do you remember that newsreader during the pandemic whose kid came into the, he wasn't a newsreader, he was on the news. His kid came into the room and his wife crawled in or his, whoever it was, I don't even know who it was. Was it his wife? It yeah. was his wife. It was his crawled wife. Crawled in to take this child as he was on air and it just went viral. I feel like that was a real yeah. moment in time. And that was probably where everyone just breathed a bit of a sigh of relief and went, I really don't have to worry as much as I have yeah. about what my content looks like anymore. That's the thing. And I think there's definitely been a huge shift, much more towards content being shared and flying and going viral if it's useful, entertaining or educational. It's got to be one of those things. If it's just pretty and if it's just someone prancing around, you know, showing off their amazing life, then what am I getting from that? I couldn't care less. Good for you. Great for you. (laughs) What's in it for me? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Great. So obviously fairly recently you've gone freelance again. So where is most of your work coming from at the moment? What are you really focusing on? So Last year, I started a business. So in amongst this kind of like slight mild panic of, ah, I'm not getting any money coming in, my usual channels, what do I do? While I was looking for a job, I was also starting up my own business, as you do. It's a very local business. It's a kid's sleepover party company called Eat, Sleep, Dream, Repeat. And one of the reasons I left NetMums was because we launched that in the summer and it started really taking off. I was getting quite a lot of bookings coming in and I was really struggling to work on it all and make sure it was all happening smoothly alongside doing an actual job. So I was like, right, this doesn't make sense. Let's leave NetMums, spend more time working on the business and it gives me the flexibility of being able to do freelance work as well. Yeah. So I would say the bulk of my income isn't coming from that business, but it's a really nice amount of money that's coming in. And then because the influencer marketing world is picking up again, I've got like podcast adverts coming in and Instagram real requests from brands, that kind of thing. And then I've also, just because I'm not doing enough, Nikki, I've also set myself up as a podcast producer. So if any small businesses or creators, those are really the markets I'm going for. So small businesses and creators who it's in their head, I really want to start a podcast, but I wouldn't Mm. have the first clue how to start it and what to do and what to buy. I'm setting myself up now as a kind of freelance podcast producer as well. So I'm getting quite a lot of inquiries in about that. So that's exciting. 
Brilliant. And then do you work with editors or you wouldn't do that yourself, would you? So I would do it all myself, yeah. You do it all? Yeah, Yeah. well, I mean, I do it all myself for my podcast anyway. And I've learned so much. I launched my podcast in 2017. What we're working on right now is a very snazzy podcast production studio. This didn't exist back then. So I would get in my car and drive to interview somebody. I would do everything face-to-face. I would come home, I would edit it all on GarageBand, taught myself how to do it all. I basically taught myself how to create audio and also how to make it sound a lot better. So yeah, do it all myself. Wow. See, I would not even go there. (laughs) If I had to edit this podcast, trust me, it would not exist anymore. (laughs) It would have lasted about a week. So yeah, hats off to you. So I know that a lot of people, that is the one thing that stops them, isn't it? It's Mm. the tech side of things. And they've got a really good idea, but it's this fear of how on earth am I going to add in that extra time to my week? And possibly one of the other fears might be around what am I going to say? Because people never feel they have enough to say, do they? And that's the thing, isn't it? Is, you know, that working with somebody like me who has got that creative editorial background, like I can come up with like, 50 ideas like that. Like, that's what I'm good at. So, you know, I think it would really help to have somebody to bounce ideas off and to be like, actually, starting a podcast doesn't have to be as hard as you, and also not as expensive because I am doing it all myself. I'm not charging the huge sums of money that the big agencies charge. So, actually, for someone who isn't making a huge amount of money themselves but wants to have a podcast as an extra marketing tool, that it has to be affordable, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I know that there'll be people listening who are thinking, well, actually, I quite fancy a little bump of twenty to 30,000 followers on my Instagram. Do you help people with that side of things as well? I haven't. I mean, I don't know whether it's a bit of imposter syndrome. I feel a bit like, oh, I guess I tell that story in my head of like, oh, that was just a fluke. And oh, well, I could do it for them, but I don't know if I can do it for anybody else. <laughs> Also, I think because because I'm not like a real like data geek, this, this was the thing at NetMums that, that kept happening. Like my boss kept saying, give us the stats. And I'd be like, oh, let's do the stats, don't I? All right. <laughs> because I'm much more of a kind of like gut feeling kind of person and like, you know, oh, that's working well. Let's do this like on a whim and just getting a feel for what works and what might work, you know. And I know that most people who are actual like social media consultants, they're like total data geeks and they will drill down and they will look at all of the numbers and all that. That's not really me. So (laughs) I feel I feel like I'm like, woo, ideas and try this rather than here's the nuts and bolts of exactly what will happen. If you do X, then Z will happen. You know, that's not really my thing. Yeah. Okay. so. The audience of this podcast is mainly small business owners, freelancers, entrepreneurs. If they're thinking, right, Alison, you're just a bundle of creative ideas. I really want to work with you, but maybe I don't want to start a podcast. Is there another option for them? I mean, definitely. I mean, I am. So for example, someone got in touch with me last week. She is a fashion stylist and writer and she wants to just meet up with me to bounce ideas, uh, things that she can do and directions that she can go in and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I'm absolutely open to people, you know, booking me for like a power hour or something like that, where we can just bounce ideas and come up with a bit of a plan of action. Yeah, definitely. And just because you've had such an interesting and varied career, are there any projects or things that you've worked on or achievements 
that really stand out so far and make you think, wow, like so much is possible. I can't wait to see what comes next. (laughs) It's funny because when I look back, I think my book is probably my biggest like, oh, wow, achievement, which is so ironic considering like, you know, podcasts and social media and the digital age. And I'm really excited that I've got this paper product, (laughs) you know, that you can buy in physical form. It's like, what does that say about us? (laughs) But it did feel like a real achievement, actually, you know, getting a book deal. And yeah. it was a real slog. I was finishing the book as the pandemic was kicking off. And you can remember what kind of mental state we were all in when that was happening. Oh my gosh. So that yeah. was quite a challenge to have got that done. Yeah. And every now and again, I'll pick my book up and I'll flick through it. and I'll be like, this is actually really good. Like, <laughs> this is really good. It wasn't just some vanity project where I was like, meh, 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 you know, like wanging on about, because it's, it's about having twins, basically. It's a guide to having twins. Yeah. But I spoke to so many experts and so many other twin parents to get their perspectives. And so together as a collective bit of information, it's like, this is really valuable. So I'm, every now and again, I'm like, I did that. You know, that was good. Yeah. And did that come off the back of your blog? Is that how you managed to get your book deal? So. Kind of, yeah, probably more off Instagram back in 2019, it would have been. I was having kind of conversations with different publishing companies and they were quite keen to find people who had large Instagram followings who could write and had a, they already had a bit of an audience because yeah. I guess it just makes selling a book easier if you've got a ready-made audience of people. And so I actually went to them with a different book idea and the it was uh, Vermillion who were part of Penguin Random House and the publisher, Sam Jackson there said, not sure about the idea, but really like you. So it, can we kind of work through some different ideas together and see what we come up with? And it was her that actually said, I don't think there is a really good modern guide to having twins out there. So you could write it. Great. It's kind of like going on Dragon's Den. They're more interested in the entrepreneur than their business certainly it was a little bit like that it felt a bit like online dating because I I had her interested I then went to a few literary agents it was much easier to get a literary agent because I already had this publisher who was really keen to work with me so it felt a little bit like I was like I'm really popular this boy over here fancies me but (laughs) if you're interested in me and so I was like oh let's negotiate (laughs) She must be worth having if this boy over here fancies her. So it really felt a bit like I was playing them off against each other. (laughs) But it worked and you were happy (laughs) with who you went with. Great. Okay, so what is next then? You've achieved loads, you've got loads going on. But if we were going to have this conversation this time next year, say, what do you think you would like to be reflecting on? I don't want to achieve more, if that makes sense. I don't want to have more things that I'm doing. I think I've got quite enough on my plate. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to spend the next year streamlining processes and coming up with ways of working that feel calm and in control and manageable because at the moment because I've only been freelance for three weeks I feel a little bit like wow. I feel <laughs> I didn't realize it was such a short time I feel a little bit like a headless chicken who's kind of going what like trying to kind of get all the plates spinning so that I can then work out okay right everything's going everything's spinning what do I need to spend my time on so I've got my plate spinning and now I'd quite like to look at the processes and like streamline things a bit and kind of Rather than traditionally with my own social media, for example, I'm very much just like on a whim, like I just feel like creating a post, I'm going to do it now. 
Whereas I want to approach it like in the same way that I did when I was social media editor for NetMums. I want to have a plan, a content plan. I want to be creating content ahead of time. Who knows if I can do it, Nikki? I don't know. I'll tell you in a year's time. (laughs) And in terms of having everything calm, systemized, streamlined, I feel like this is a bit like your reel that you did talking to midlife mums and asking whether anybody has nailed it. Once you've nailed that, can you let me know? <laughs> Don't tell me that because that's making me feel like it's not achievable, Nikki. <laughs> of course it is. We will both do it and we'll catch up in a year. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alison, on the Audience Growth Podcast and for sharing these absolute gems with our listeners. Thank you so much, Nikki. I know that people are going to want to follow along with whatever it is that you do next. So where is the best place for them to find you? I mean, it depends on what they want from me. I'm on Instagram as the midlife mum, but my handle is I am Alison Perry. If you want podcast production, I'm at alisonperry.co.uk. If you live in Southeast London or Kent and you want a kid's sleepover party, (laughs) I'm at eatsleepdreamrepeat.com. I mean, honestly, take your pick. I'm saying most people are going to go for Instagram for now. Excellent. Thank you again and see you soon. Thank you, Nikki. I'll be back next week, this time with a solo episode, and I'd love to see you back here then. I'll be sharing my very practical steps that you can follow to make sure you can take a proper break for the holidays. It feels very American to describe it like that, but at the same time, I feel like it's an inclusive term that covers the entire period from pre-Christmas to post-New Year. That's my favourite holiday to take because I down tools completely. Yes, I might spend some time planning for the year ahead, but actually, John and I are a bit ahead of ourselves this year and have our planning dates booked in for next week. Exciting! So, unless you work in hospitality or events or similar industries, then this is the perfect time of year to take a proper break. Emails are quiet, meetings are non-existent, it's the dream. So, I encourage you to tune in next week when I'll be walking you through how I plan out my break intentionally, making sure nothing interrupts it. And remember, if you didn't do this at the start of the podcast, stop what you're doing now and check out the memberships, including the Marketing Insiders Club, ready for email month at nikkihutchison.com forward slash memberships. Have a great week and I'll see you next Friday. Until then, take care and keep marketing.